Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin, and today we're absolutely delighted to be talking to Zoe Conway, one of Ireland's leading fiddle players, it says, and it also says one of Ireland's leading violin players. So, Zoe, is it one, <laughs> is it the other, or is it both? Is it fiddle or violin for you? If it, if it says it in print, it must be true. <laughs> um, oh, well, I, I, I call it both, you know, the fiddle and the violin, depending on my company, I suppose. So normally in classical music, we'd say violin, and then in traditional, we'd say fiddle. So um, that's what I stick to anyway. But I love them both. Uh, you do, and you perform them so well, I have to say, and which is another thing that it's very unusual for a musician to be uh, competent, let's say, in both genres. That you know they get kind of caught up in their development musically. So, how did you get started, and how did you manage to maintain both? Well, I suppose in my house, I was surrounded by traditional music um, from I was quite young. So my older siblings were already learning traditional music. And um, I suppose that's where I learned most of my jigs and reels. And really, it's the music that's closest to my heart and what I what I'm just used to. It's in my blood, if you like. And then when I was around maybe eight or nine or maybe 10, I'm not sure which, but I saw a, a girl playing on TV and she was playing violin very definitely. And uh, she was playing the most incredible Sarasate piece where she used the whole violin up high, like the, the top notes. And I was absolutely blown away by this playing. I'd never seen anything like it. And I said to my father, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. So um, I was still quite young, but, you know, to start classical, you're supposed to start a bit younger than that even, you know, um, and dad brought me around to different teachers in the area to see if any of them would start teaching me classical. But at that stage, I would have been quite proficient at traditional. And a lot of them actually wouldn't take me on because they said really that I was too old and that it would be too tricky to start at such a late age. Um, but luckily, there was one teacher who lived down the bottom of our farm um, called Sheila Thompson, and she's really a gifted teacher. And she did take me on and um, she put a lot of time and effort into me as a student. And in fact, I, uh, for a few years, I went to her every day for a lesson. Um, and that's really where my classical, my love of classical came from, was really from her. Um, and I be began to develop the, the kind of classical knowledge and technique and um, I suppose the dedication <laughs> for practice. And everything. And then I suppose as I went along, I, I tried to keep up both the traditional and the classical and um, develop both. And so I was really leading two lives at that time, which which was difficult. I mean, the classical world kind of didn't have much time for traditional music at that time. Um, and they really looked down on it. It wasn't seen as a benefit the way it is now. Um, and so I had to keep my trad playing secret from my classical playing friends and teacher and uh, vice versa. You know, if you went into a flat hole, as you probably know, Kieran, and you had a shoulder rest and you had the fiddle up high, well, then you wouldn't get placed because you weren't playing traditional music in a traditional style in, in their opinion. So there was a lot of clashes going on in my life as a youngster um, trying to keep these two lives separate. And lucky for me, by the time I became kind of 18, 19, it was then you know, cool and brilliant to be able to do both and celebrate it. Um, and so I was able to kind of create this life for myself 
in this unique position of, of having knowledge of both worlds. So um, it, it kind of paid off for me. And I suppose I liken it to knowing two languages. And of course, having two languages is a benefit to anyone. And having one doesn't take away from the other, it adds to it. And I feel the same way in music. So um, that's it's it's been brilliant for me. And I'm trying to do the same with my, my own children to give them those same experiences. Uh, a couple of points actually about your siblings. I want to ask you about that and the family yeah. and that sort of dedication to music. But when you mentioned that you took, that you were seen as a almost too far gone as a traditional player to be kind of <laughs> playing classical. Uh, what? Who was teaching you trad? Um, Sheila was teaching you classical. So who was teaching you trad? I didn't really have a teacher at that time. It was just, you know, we learned at home. My sister went to Rose O'Connor. Do you know Jerry O'Connor's late mother mm-hmm. in Dundalk? And she's a very famous um, teacher and a brilliant teacher. And so we would have learned a lot of her repertoire. And my sister, she's 10 years older than me. So she would have been starting in sessions and competitions and playing in local um, courses groups and things like that, Lisa, my sister. So I, I think I learned most of my trad playing from Lisa. And later, in late, like as a teenager, I would have gone to all of the workshops that were there every year, maybe in Milton Malbe and at the FLA. And I also went to um, McDara O'Reilly for a couple of years for lessons, who's an incredible traditional fiddle player. So, and actually, a lot of what I learned was from uh, cassette tapes or CDs or uh, videotapes that my father would have taken. He's a real passionate um, traditional music lover. So we had a lot, a lot of material at home to learn from. So, I mean, I would have studied them and I would have studied them very seriously. Like, for example, James Kelly, the brilliant fiddle player. Um, I have a few recordings of him playing a few reels or whatever. And I would write them out on sheets of paper and I would write in the variations and the cuts and all of the extra things. So if he plays the piece four times, I write it out four times and figure out exactly what did he do. So I was really into trad music and very passionate. So did that discipline uh, of, you know, being sort of getting minutely inside the tunes or somebody's version of the tune, was that aided by the fact that you were learning classical or learning the classical style? I think so, because you can see the rewards immediately. So I think that kind of dedication pays off in both traditions and to get down into the finer detail. I mean, I never wanted to sound like James Kelly or to sound like Frankie Gavin or to sound like Carl Hayden, but I did want to know what they were doing and how did they how did they sound so brilliant, you know? So it did allow me to to kind of gain a lot of knowledge by studying like that, by studying in that way. And uh and it does it it shows you the the beauty and the magic of the music. I mean, a lot of people have an impression of traditional music that it's very simple. Um and of course we know that it isn't. <laughs> it's anything but and especially when you start looking at different bowings that people are putting on pieces to make them sound different, to vary them, or different uh, finger ornamentations or slides or slightly different pitches here and there. Um, It just shows you, I mean, it's just, it's immense, uh, the layers that goes on in traditional music. So um, I think I was really excited by that as a teenager, and I really wanted to be brilliant and to, you know, be as good as I could be. So I, I, I put a lot of hours into to all of that kind of research. And of course, uh, it always takes dedicated parents to be able to put up with a, a young one that wants to, <laughs> has this appetite for learning. Yes, well, I had great support from my parents and 
they are real traditional music lovers, both of them, my mum and my father. And that was why we all had to learn traditional music. It was never an option for us. We were given an instrument and we had to practice and we had to attend our lessons. And it wasn't like a, like a lot of houses where you might get to the age of 11 or 12 and say, you know what, I like it, but I don't like it enough to have to practice every day. So I'm going to give up. Like that was never an option for any of us. So they were very dedicated parents and that paid off I suppose because we all really love uh, our music and play a lot and um, they, they were very dedicated like my poor father drove me all around the country as I'm sure you know Kieran I'm sure you met him on many occasions but like my classical violin lessons after I left Sheila Thompson in Dundalk um, I, I went to Maeve Broderick, who lives in Kalini in Dublin. And at that time, there was no motorway. You know, you had to go through Slane and Ashburn and, you know, halfway across the country to get to Kalini. It was a three hour one way journey. <laughs> so that was six hours, including maybe an hour and a half or two hours of a lesson. And my father used to bring me once a week or once every two weeks or whatever. So that's a whole day wasted for him and, well, beneficial for me, but still a lot of hours. Hours. And and um, so my father was was that kind of very dedicated parent who allowed these things to kind of happen Fantastic. and um, allowed me to kind of develop. So I'm very lucky for that. <laughs> I, know, I, I met him on more than one occasion and fair play to him. He always did it with a smile as well, which I like. It's when you speak about that, then you speak about your family playing and you speak with a, a smile on your face. Really, when you do that, I also saw you with a very big smile in your face at the FLA in Drogheda because the whole gang of you, the whole family got together and you played tunes, I think, at the back of a church at one stage. That's right, we did. And, you know, even though we all play music, just with normal life, you don't have time to have sessions that much or to play music. I mean, I think people have this impression of me and my family and my husband, John, that we must play music all day, every day, which, of course, would be beautiful, but we don't. And so for that um, flacule that was in Drogheda, we, we got together and it was myself and my siblings and John, my husband, and also all of our kids that play as well um, came along. Along, the cousins and everything so it was a very special moment just to pick a few tunes and to play them together and um, it was a beautiful moment and brilliant fun. I met you on the street actually and I felt that you were beaming you were delighted to be able to introduce your own children to this mecca of traditional music. That's right. Uh, it's great. And I think everyone has that. You you want your children to have those positive experiences that you had um, when you were growing up. And um, I'm lucky that our children do. They, they don't even know yet that they're already brilliant musicians and that they already have this world of knowledge, like hundreds of tunes and everything. They have no appreciation for it because they just think that that's normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's great to bring them to the flat and they know some songs and they know a bit of dancing and they can sing along and play a few tunes and even, you know, do a bit of busking or whatever. Um, and they just loved it. And the whole atmosphere and the big concerts to be able to bring them to some of those. Well, I mean, we, myself and John last year and the year before got to play with the RTE Concert Orchestra, which is about maybe 60 people on a stage. Amazing orchestra playing our music, traditional music with us. Um, and our kids were able to come along and be in the audience so um, it's really it's been the highlight of our careers and it's so special that we're able to bring the children along with us. That's fantastic. You mentioned actually another word there and that is singing. 
and I have this beautiful memory of you singing Timesham Holla, a beautiful version of that. So where did your interest in singing come from and who was behind that? Well, you know, singing has always been kind of secondary to me because the fiddle just took so much priority in my life. But I've always loved singing and have always sang. Um, I did have some lessons at some stage as a teenager, you know, with a classical singer, but that was never my thing. It's more um, traditional for me that I love the traditional singing. And as a fiddle player, I think a lot of fiddle players find it easy to sing because when we're playing an instrument, when we're playing the fiddle, you have to be able to pitch with your fingers. And so you know whether you're sharp or flat instinctively all the time. So I think maybe that makes it a little bit easier to sing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always sang never very much. I always do a little bit in concerts. And I think that actually people connect more with the voice. You know, people just seem to love hearing a song. Maybe it's the words, of course, adding another element, but it's also just the human voice. And um, it has become a passion of mine. And I think um, it's something that I love to do. And I'm trying to, to be better and trying to improve and trying to find things that really suit my sound. Um, it's, quite, it's quite fun. And it's, it's a whole new journey for me, really, the voice. You mentioned uh, the connection between fiddle players and singing there. And there's one or two fiddle players I know, and I'd be happy enough if they didn't sing anyway. <laughs> well, we won't say anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you played, of course, at Tradfest uh, uh, a few times. Once, of course, uh, you, yourself and John played in uh, Rathfarnham Castle uh, on the, right. the, yeah, recently. And you did uh, a show with Martin O'Connor and Donald Lunny as well. How do the, well, I was going to say, how did the combination with John and yourself work, uh, come together, but that came together as it did. But getting together with the likes of Martin O'Connor and Don Lunny, how did you decide to put that together as a trio? Well, that was a really funny story because um, none of us really remember exactly what happened. <laughs> but um, we would have known each other over the years. You know the way you do. I mean, the traditional community is so small and everyone is so open. In particular, the brilliant players seem to be very open in bringing up youngsters and trying to encourage them to play. But So I would have had opportunities to play with both Donal and Marcin over the years, which I've really relished. And um, one of the albums that myself and my husband John released was one called Gomara Awad which means long life to you. And we had an idea that we would invite 12 Irish composers to write 12 new pieces for me and John to make this album. So it was an absolutely brilliant idea. Like we were so you know, delighted to have this amazing music coming to us and have to learn it and interpret it and everything. Brand new music. It was very, very exciting. And two of the composers I asked were Donal and Martin. And then a little while later, Donal, I think, was invited by Music Network to do one of the Music Network tours around Ireland and to put together maybe a trio, a duo or a trio. So he got in touch with Martin and the two of them got together and started a kind of sharing tunes and they thought it would be lovely to have one more person and who might that be? And I think luckily I had just kind of commissioned the two of them to write a couple of pieces. So I might have been fresh in their minds, but they thought that I would be a great fit you know, for the trio. So um, they asked me if I might come, come and play. And really that was supposed to be a one-off tour um, with maybe seven or eight concerts. And the concerts were sold out and the response was unbelievable. And playing with those two total legends, I mean, they're just so gifted at what they do. Marching, as you know, like 
um, so witty in his playing and his compositions and so virtuosic. And then Donal being amazing at arranging and chords and composition as well. I mean, total, total legends and um, total geniuses. Um, and to get to play with them was incredible. So we felt that we should really keep it going and put in another concert and then another concert and another concert. And it just kept going. And I would say we've been together five or six years now playing as a trio. Um, which is just amazing and still brilliant fun. And I mean, those guys are a lot older than I am, as probably everyone knows, but their passion for music is just incredible. You, you know, you would think that people would get jaded with touring and jaded with concerts after a while, but they don't. I mean, Martin will regularly ring me and he'll be like, Zoe, I wrote a tune, uh, I'm just going to play it for you. And he puts the phone down and he'll play and play and play and he could play for an hour on the phone, you know? And I just think it's great. I just, I get such a buzz out of playing with them. Uh, yeah, such fantastic energy actually from the three yeah. of you that night in <laughs> City Hall in Dublin when you played. Thank you. Uh, and working with John then, that's a, that's a different, of course you can practice at home I suppose when you need to do that. We can, not that we do very much, <laughs> <laughs> but that's very special, obviously. Um, like we actually, we knew each other as musicians, um, you know, as teenagers or whatever. And then uh, we got together later on as a couple and John was touring with the Revs at that time all over the world. And I was touring a lot with Riverdance at that time. And also I did some classical work with different orchestras and with Rodrigo y Gabriela. So even though we were a couple, we were very much um, living in two different musical worlds. And then after we got married, we started to play together. And it turns out that John has had this whole backstory of traditional music in Southwest Donegal, where his, some of his best friends are fiddle players. and. And, um, you know, it was just so amazing to be able to play traditional music with him and with his background that he has, uh, very broad, classical and rock and roll and traditional. And so amazingly, I suppose our two musical worlds just came together. And um, it's just so nice to be able to tour with John, you know, as my partner, as my husband, and to be able to go all over the world and, and give concerts of our music that we create and our arrangements. Um, it's very, very special. And... Uh, that's the only thing about lockdown, of course, is that we can't do that anymore, which is huge, a huge change for us. And um, yeah. at least we can we can work away on, on stuff in the meantime. Yeah, you mentioned the music that you create and you compose in both classical and the traditional genres. How do you decide that's that would be a lovely classical piece or that would be a lovely traditional piece? I suppose whatever is inside you just comes out and it's not really a conscious choice. And um, the melody dictates uh, the tune and what happens it and its treatment. So um, normally what happens is I'll come up with a kind of a melody and then John will come in and we'll work on kind of filling it out together, finishing it off together. And that really just, it, it dictates itself. It's not that we decide what happens. It's very difficult thing to describe actually and the, the composition process. Sometimes a tune just comes to you and it sounds already finished. Um, and normally that will be in a traditional style for me, but with the, with the classical techniques, I love to try and include those in the song, in the pieces. And um, so I will often bring in maybe unusual string crossings or unusual maybe positions going up higher on the fiddle or some chords or some harmonics. And um, so I have a lot to play with in, in the pieces. and. That is kind of fun for me um, to be able to work like that. And um, so, but really the melody dictates what's going to happen. 
I'm just curious about that. I also see that you, well, I know that you've played in some unusual venues and some beautiful venues like Carnegie Hall, let's say. You play, yeah. and of course, you've toured with various orchestras around the world. You played in the Kremlin Palace in Moscow. What was that? Uh, how did you manage to get there and why were you there? <laughs> yeah, I did. I got to play there. It was amazing. Um, I was actually touring with Riverdance at the time. So we did a tour in Russia. We did, we, I don't know, maybe 20 concerts or something. And uh, three of the concerts, I think, were at the Kremlin. And um, it was an incredible experience. A little bit dark, um, actually. I found it at that time in Russia. Um, I suppose it was probably 15 or 20 years ago now. And um, it was the middle of winter. And I found it very difficult to be in Russia at that time. But the experience was amazing and the hall was amazing and people were beautiful. The audiences were beautiful and they were throwing up flowers and being very, you know, romantic. And so it was a, it was a fun experience, but um, very different at that time going to Russia and seeing um, a totally different um, culture. Well, I'll take you to another culture now, actually. You played at the New York Stock Exchange uh, during the <laughs> ring of the bell. Now, I presume they weren't throwing flowers up to you there, maybe stocks and shares. <laughs> No, I tell you, and I, I was lucky to even make it into the building because the year that I stayed there, there were no women allowed on the trading floor ever. That had never happened before. And when I, I don't know why I was brought there, but they brought me there. And uh, all the security guards were going, no, 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 she can't go in there. And, and I was kind of following this guy. And he was like, no, she is going in there. She's playing the fiddle. I mean, this is very important. And it was a big deal. We were over myself and my brother. This is before I played with John. And... Um, Myself and my brother were flown over in a private jet <laughs> and we were put up in a suite for a week in the middle of New York um, and it was just unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable. We were treated like royalty. But then when I got to the actual stock exchange, I nearly wasn't allowed in. And then they were saying, well, you can't go in dressed like that. <laughs> You're going to have to put a shirt on. So they made me put a shirt on over my dress, you know, and uh, eventually I got in and I got to play and um oh sure it was just crazy you know kind of rock and roll time at that stage and we had a great time we had a fantastic week or maybe more than a week in fact and um, in new york and in washington and uh, it's just one of those crazy stories you know as a musician you just don't know what the next day is going to bring and uh what crazy situation you're going to find yourself in and sometimes you, you arrive at a concert and there's 90 people there and it's amazing and then other times you arrive at a concert and there's 9,000 or or 17 million sometimes watching and it's just nobody ever tells you I mean I don't have a manager or anything like that so I'm kind of just left to my own devices <laughs> so sometimes I get a shock when I walk out and it's something seriously major that I haven't quite realized yet and well, um, it's very, it's very good fun, you know. It's a very unusual way to make a living, that's for sure. Yeah, you've certainly been involved in some wonderful projects as well. I mentioned about orchestras and that around the world. You've recorded with Damien Rice, Lisa Hannigan, Nick Cave and Lou Reed, amongst others. So mm -hmm. uh, all daunting uh, and challenging, but uh, well up for the challenge by the sounds of it. Yes, I mean, it's, it's all music at the end of the day. And I am very happy in my fiddle playing and very confident in my fiddle playing. So I feel like I can um, survive in those situations. You know, if I'm uh, being, being, walking out in front of an orchestra, it's a bit daunting. There's no doubt about it. I mean, those players are incredibly good, incredibly well-trained, and they practice a lot more than I do, you know? So it's easy to be daunted. But I suppose 
I understand that my talent is different to theirs and I've got this wealth of traditional music there and uh, quite a lot more open in terms of the music that I know and you know I can kind of wing it a lot of the time and that does help and so I have to just not get too carried away and I don't and I try not to get nervous and I try not to get starstruck by situations and um and and try and enjoy it as much as possible because at the end of the day if you don't enjoy what you do um it becomes a nightmare you know and I know a lot of my friends would have that experience and, and not enjoy it you know and so it's important to make the most of every situation uh, you mentioned about the discipline of uh, the classical musicians, let's say the orchestra members yeah. that you would step out with, and you also mentioned that you might wing it. So how would they? <laughs> how would they? How would they deal with you winging it, as it were? Well, in an orchestra environment, yeah, you can't go too far off um, what's written on the sheet because it'll all fall apart, and that's the danger of playing with orchestra. But once you know that, you just stick within your your, your kind of set routine, and um, you can wing it in terms of ornamentation, maybe, and uh, taking slightly longer pauses and things like that. They're brilliant at following those kind of things, but you can't repeat an A part again, you know, <laughs> because they certainly won't follow that. Yeah. So in that situation, no, you have to be quite strict. But in other situations, you know, you can you can be a little bit more open and uh, wing it as much as you like. And like brilliant players like Donal and Martin, for example, and they'll just follow no matter what you do. Thanks be to God. <laughs> You're also teaching, or at least you were teaching up to the COVID, I suppose. I'm not sure if yeah. you, you continue teaching online, but you're teaching both classical and traditional, are you? I do. I teach both. And in fact, I encourage both. I mean, most of my um, students really play traditional music and I'm giving them a little bit of classical just to have that extra knowledge, I suppose. Um, and I think it's lovely for them to have a little bit of both and to be able to read music, you know, to be able to read manuscript music and understand it and um, to learn scales on your instrument, to be able to jump up and down if you want or play harmonics. Um, it's really beneficial for people. So I do teach both. But really, I mean, I, if I had to pick, I'd be picking traditional because I think learning by ear is such an amazing asset um, that, you know, we, re we really should be letting, allowing our children to learn like that because um, it's such an important long-term memory for people and they're able to play tunes no matter where they are, no matter how many years down the road it is, they can still play those tunes. So, um, you know, the, the benefits of traditional music can't be underestimated. Um, but I love teaching. I love teaching. I think probably because I had such nice teachers growing up myself and that they've inspired me to kind of continue that on and to try and share what I've learned. And I really get a good buzz out of teaching. And I, I was able to do a few online projects like um, the Willie Clancy Summer School went online this year. And uh, that was a lovely experience to be able to do that um, and still be in lockdown. And um, so I have been able to do a few things online. Um, but really, I'm kind of waiting for hopefully COVID to pass before I go back to my regular teaching lessons. And what sort of plans had you in place before COVID struck? Oh, we had a lovely year of concerts. And um, the last two years have been the busiest years of our lives. Um, we've had amazing concerts in Italy and Spain and America, France, 
uh, Germany. And this year, uh, when COVID happened, uh, we had to cancel an awful lot, like a shocking amount. Of course, we've loved being at home with the kids and having this time. It's very precious and it's time that you can't get back. So in a way, we kind of we feel blessed and have had this time. But we would be quite depressed if we could never get out on the road again. Like, so I'm hoping that it won't be forever um, and we can maybe take off up where we left off. And um, so we've, I know a few lovely concerts in Nice um, that we are waiting to do and in Germany um, and a few others across the world. So we're just going to wait and see how, how it pans out and then start booking again. And have you been practicing or composing during this period? Yes, practicing and composing and uh, trying to come up with new material. So um, a lot of what we've done on the road over the last couple of years have been compositions that we've done over the last year or two. And we're hoping to create a whole new show of material or maybe two shows of material in this lockdown time. So we are quite focused on composition now with this extra time, especially now the children have finally gone back to school. Um, we, we actually have a bit of time in the day now. Um, to think about music so um, we're, we're working away as much as we can on new songs and new pieces so hopefully you get to hear some of that over the next few months. Uh, we've been asking people uh, on the podcast over the last five or six months uh, if you're not listening to your own music and composing what are you listening to? Um, well, in our house, it's mostly traditional music that we listen to, and um, I'm just I listen to old recordings mostly. So I'll be listening to stuff from Mary Bergen and James Kelly and Noel Hill and the Bachy Band, and I also love a, a brilliant band from Sweden called Vesen. And so we've been listening to them quite a bit. Um, and in fact, we have Michael McGoldrick's CD out. You know, Fused. I think it's 20 years old now this year and um, my little boy Owen is learning uh, flute so we have him learning that album so it's on kind of very loud most of the time here while, he, while he's playing along with it <laughs> which is great fun and also we've been listening to a bit of um, Indian music called a brilliant band called Shakti um, that's been on the last few days so there's no end of amazing music out there um, to fill the days if you want and lovely thing to do I suppose with this time. Well we certainly hope that Covid or a solution to it will come our way as soon as possible and we look forward to actually hearing you playing live again whether it's with John or any of the other combinations that you get together. Uh, Zoe it's always a pleasure to talk to you and thanks a million for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much, Kieran. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.